0: name could contain such a glory for he was mighty god as the universe gasped into being this is our wonderful counselor this is our mighty god this is our everlasting father our prince of peace what name could contain emmanuel god with us yahweh Worth. What name could contain such a glory? What name? What Jesus? Good morning everyone. Listen, it is so good to be with you in the same room today. This is the first time we've had church on a Sunday morning in more than three years, where a portion of our church has not been watching through a screen. And unlike the Russians, I can't see you through a screen. Um, Like, so, like, I don't know that you're there. So some of you have been in in, in a part of, like, my church, but I've not been a part of your church. So it's so good to see you all this morning. It's actually been five years, more than five years, since our church has gathered together on Sunday morning Between 8 a.m. and noon, and starting very early in the morning on the first day of the week, the very first church after Jesus rose from the dead said, Hey, we should every day, every first day of the week, very early in the morning, we should celebrate that Jesus is alive. So we've been trying to do that, but we've been doing Sunday nights, we've been doing Saturday nights, we've been kind of having church all over the place. So this is the first time in five and a half years that we will have church on Sunday morning together in the same room between 8 a.m. and noon. And I don't know about you, but that 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 makes me so happy to feel like we are kind of all back together. Again, it feels really good for a little while to be back together. Let me say this, what happens in this room should feel very, very familiar. Like nothing should change in this space. Like when you come in here, we're like, we're going to sing. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about how good God is as we sing. We're going to open God's word. We're going to teach and preach. Like not much should change from our other experience when you come into this room. But everything before the service and after the service should be different and it should be better. Because that's when we get together as the church, amen? Like, for the first time, we have more than a 12-foot hallway for you to, like, spend some time together in. And my goal is that you get here early, that you find someone that you know, that you have some community, that you have a great conversation, that you stay for coffee. Listen, your goal should be not to come to some. We've been having church services for five years. Now we get to have church, like we get to have church where people get to be together before and after service. So plan to be here early, plan to stay after, plan to find someone, to get in a corner, to have a conversation and minister to one another. Um, I'm so excited for this new space that God has given us. As a matter of fact, we are so excited about the space that we're going to take next week off um, and not have church at all in it. So. (laughs) You might have heard it on the video, because of our five Christmas services, we really want to allow our staff and our volunteers, it takes an army of volunteers to pull off our five Christmas services, we want to allow them to be together with their families, so we'll be online only, the voice of the Kansas City Royals, Ryan Lefevre, um is going to be with a panel of our staff just saying, hey, take us behind the scenes of the last year and a half of COVID and this building project, and just tell us something that we don't know about what happened. What were some of the hiccups? What were some of the hard things? What were some of the faith moments that really grew you? So that'll be next Sunday, 845 and 1030 online only. I really do believe it'll be worth watching. I think it'll give you some insight into our church, into some of our ministry team and the heart of our staff, and maybe some behind the scenes thing on this project. I think it's going to be a really good Sunday. So make sure you join online, come for one of our Christmas services, and then be here um, with us in spirit online, December 26th. Hey, if you have your Bibles. John chapter one is where we're hanging out today. So grab your notes, open up your Bibles so that you can follow along this morning. Um, we've been talking in John chapter one, uh, all month long Christmas at journey has been all about learning how to see Jesus more clearly as the God who came down. Like that's what all of this month has been about. And we've been in John chapter one verses one through 14, trying to see Jesus more clearly as the God who came down. Somebody say God came down. That's the big idea of Christmas, like God came down, God visited earth, that's the big idea of Christmas. Today's big idea, very specifically in John 1, 14, is this, we want to see what it looks like to see a physical and a spiritual picture of Jesus at the center of your life. So I'm actually going to show you a physical picture in today's message, one of my favorite pictures Out of every Bible resource that I've ever studied, one of my favorite pictures that shows what it looks like to have God at the center of your life. And then I'm going to give you kind of a spiritual rhythm that might help you live with God at the center of your life. That'll be the goal of today, to really help you see Jesus at the center, what that looks like. And how you can accomplish that in your life. Before we ever dig into scripture at our church, we always pray and ask God to speak to our hearts. I don't even have to speak to the venue today through the camera. So those of you watching online, we're glad you're with us from wherever you might be. But for all of you here at church today, all together in the same room, let's bow our heads and let's pray quickly. Take a deep breath if you would. Let's just settle our spirits into this moment. And would you pray right where you are and just ask God to clear your heart. And speak to it. God, that's our prayer this morning, that you would clear the clutter of life, which just sometimes seems to pile up on us in this season. And God, we ask you to speak to our hearts. We'll be listening. God, thank you for allowing our church family to be together today on the first day of the week, celebrating the fact that Jesus, King Jesus, is alive. And on the throne Of the world, and we pray on the throne of our hearts. God, as we dig into today's text, show us what it looks like to see Jesus at the center. And Lord, tell us what we have to do to get Jesus to the center of our lives. That's our prayer. We ask it today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, one more time this month says this In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and full of truth so in december we've been looking at the deity of jesus in john chapter 1 and we looked in the first week of december at jesus as the word of god he was the incarnation god put on flesh So that we could see him and know who he was and what his purpose was for our life. Last week we looked at Jesus as the light of God. And we said in a dark and empty world, and the world is still Genesis 1.1. The world is still dark and emptiness still kind of reigns until Jesus steps in. We said Jesus is the thing that helps us really recognize who God is so that we can be called into relationship with him. Today we're going to talk about Jesus as God's dwelling among us. And we're going to receive an invitation To have Jesus at the center of our lives. If this is your first time ever at our church, thanks so much for being with us today. Pretty special Sunday for us. We're glad that you're here. Um, If you haven't been here yet this month, I really want to challenge you to go back and listen to or watch December 5 and December 12 to learn about the incarnation and the illumination that Jesus offers. Those are kind of part one and part two of this series. Today is part three, and we're just calling today Jesus At the center. Somebody say Jesus. Jesus. He's a pretty big deal at Journey. He's got pretty big letters in his name on the wall, in the atrium. But the question today is, is he a big deal in your life? Is he at the center of your life? Because one verse today is going to show us what that can look like. And it's my goal that regardless of what 2021 looked like in your life, that 2022 would be a year where Jesus lived at the center. If you have your Bible, turn to John 1, uh, look at John 1, 14 one more time. This should be a verse that you have underlined. If you've not underlined it yet, do that now. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and full of truth. So as you leave today, one of the things that we'll be handing out um, in our atrium, at our Connection Center, and I think at the doors as well, are our Bible reading plans for 2022. Uh, Read the entire Bible through in a year, read the New Testament through in a year, just 365 days of kind of a guide to help you begin to dig into God's word. You're going to learn at the end of this message that one of the things that will help Jesus live at the center of your life is being in scripture every day. So every year I read completely through the Bible and I always read through a different study Bible. And this year I read one of my favorite that I've ever read. It's the Charles Spurgeon study Bible. If you wonder, like Christian, it seems like in 2021, like you've been quoting a lot from Charles Spurgeon because I've been reading him every day this year. Somehow I got like three weeks ahead in my Bible reading time. So like I finished this Bible on December 10th instead of December 31st. I had to start my 2022 one early, but I loved and learned so much just reading the Bible daily. And I learned something in the overview of the book of Romans from my Spurgeon study Bible this year that I don't know that I knew before about John 1.14. And I want to throw it up on the wall so that I can read it to you to show you how important it is. Um, and this is such a better teaching TV than the, like the little old one that didn't work a lot. Like the tech team asked, they said, like, Christian, the last few weeks we know it hasn't been working. Would you like to throw it off the roof when we move into the new place? and I said just when no one's watching yes that would be incredible. <laughs> Here's what the Spurgeon study Bible says watch this this is very important. There are three passages in the New Testament each one long sentence in the Greek text so the original New Testament was written in Greek not English that contain the most important theology in the New Testament. John 1:14 on the incarnation we know what that means now. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 about the triune purpose and glory of God. And Romans 3, 21 through 26 on justification, redemption, and propitiation. Three sentences that tell us all of those things spiritually. If a Christian understands these three sentences, is a solid foundation for faith. Three, three sentences in the entire New Testament will give you a solid foundation for faith. One of those is John 1, 14. So we want to look at this sentence today. One of the three most important sentences in the Bible. And I really want to look at just two parts of this sentence today. If you have your Bible open, one is a phrase, one is a word. I want to look at the phrase, made his dwelling. And I want to look at the phrase, glory. And I want to look at the words and the concepts behind those because of what they tell us about Jesus. The, the Greek word, made his dwelling, is the word, "skino." So, the word, "skino." It's a word in the Greek that translates tent, but it's a Greek word that was borrowed from the Semitic language. You say, what's a Semitic language? That means a Middle Eastern language. Um, the Semites were the Israelite people. So the Arabic or the Aramaic or the Hebrew language is what the Greeks went to to say this. Hey, like, what are those things that people live in that are not real houses? You say, why didn't they have a Greek word for tent? Because Greeks lived in houses. But a lot of Middle Eastern people lived in tents. So they borrowed from their language, what is, a, what is a house made out of fabric? Or more often than not, what is a house made out of skin? What do you call something that someone lives in that's made out of skin? And they went to kind of the Hebrew language and said the word they use is tabernacled. And they kind of took that word and made it their word tent or tabernacled. They were literally saying this. When trying to convey what Jesus did in John chapter 1, they said he came and lived in skin. That's what it means. God came and lived in skin. If we were reading this kind of in the Semitic language, we would say that God tabernacled among us. He literally came down and he lived in Skin Understanding the tabernacle is one of the most important things you can do in your faith to have Jesus at the center of your life. And he came and he tabernacled among us so that we would see his glory. It's the Greek word doxa. And it's a word that basically means to to not only feel the weight of, but understand the praise and the boast of. It's something that matters a whole lot. And it's something that you feel very, very deeply. Glory is an interesting word in the English language. Because it's, it has such a big spiritual meaning that we can use that word and not really understand it a whole lot. When you ask most Americans, what do you think of when you hear the word glory? They'll say Denzel Washington. And that was a great movie. But that misses like the spiritual concept of what it has. There are several different Hebrew words that are translated glory in the English. And there are many different Greek words translated glory in the English. But I want to show you the primary and almost exclusive meanings of these words, but because when you understand this word and the meaning of this word, you'll understand what Scripture is trying to convey when it says glory. The Hebrew word for glory is the word kabod, and it almost exclusively, you can see more than a dozen different Hebrew words, all represented by color, used for glory, but when we read that English word, almost every time we read the English word glory, it means heaviness or burden, Something you can feel and feel deeply. That's almost the exclusive meaning of glory. Something that is heavy, that you feel deeply. In the Greek language, the word is doxa. Not nearly quite as many Greek words for glory. Almost every time in the New Testament, the Bible uses the word glory. It literally means praise or boast or to prove that something matters. Say, so what does glory matter? Here's what, here's what glory means for the Christian. Glory means that we have every ability to feel God and to know that we matter. That's what God's glory means. That you and I have every ability to feel the weight of God in our life and to be confident to know that we matter. That's what glory means. And if we understand these two terms, tabernacle and glory, we understand Jesus a whole lot better. But not just the two words. Really, The two words together, and I would say the purpose of the two words together. So number one is the purpose of the glory of the tabernacle. Like if you understand why God used the tabernacle to let people feel him and know that they mattered, you will understand maybe more about Jesus than you have ever understood in your life. So we want to talk about the purpose of the glory of the tabernacle. And it's interesting because we've been in John chapter 1 the last three weeks, but John's been in Genesis chapter 1, and now John is in Exodus 33 and 34. So the first few verses of John chapter 1, John is in Genesis 1, kind of recreating Genesis 1, and by the time we get to verse 14, he's now in Exodus 33 and 34. There's quite a journey between Genesis 1 and Exodus 33, but it's an important one to know. In Exodus 32, we meet a man named Moses who's on the mountain with God, and he's just received the commandments of God. You might remember the story, the people of God were slaves for 400 years in Egypt. God sent Moses to tell Pharaoh, let the people go. If you want to jot down some numbers on your sermon notes, 10, 45, 40, important numbers. 10 plagues that God brought on the Egyptian people so that Pharaoh would let the people go. 45 days to get from Egypt to Mount Sinai. And then in Exodus 32, Moses spent 40 days on the mountain with God. It took the people of Israel 45 days to escape from slavery and 40 days to get back in it. 40 days to get to the base of the mountain where God would call Moses up and say, Hey, let's, like, let, me, let me help you understand what the people need to do to have me with them. And then 40 days for them to lose sight of God and his purpose for their life. As a matter of fact, when Moses went up on the mountain, I don't know if they waited 7 days, 14 days, 20 days. In all, like in all honesty, if it took them 45 to get from Egypt to Sinai... And on day 40 at Sinai, Moses hadn't come down. It would make sense that they'd be a little worried. They went to Moses' brother Aaron, who was kind of the co-leader of Israel at the time, and basically said, we can't see this God who helped us every day in Egypt anymore. Like, we we constantly saw the plagues. We constantly knew we were going to be let go. Like, it's been now more than a month. We can't see God, and we can't even see the guy who's supposed to represent God. And we're scared. Make us some gods that we can see, feel, feel, touch understand make us a God who's right in the middle of us because then we won't be so alone so Aaron took all of their gold and he made these two golden calves and he's like there's your gods and they were like okay thank God we're not alone like I I understand what they were doing we need to see, touch, feel our gods. We need, like we need to know that they're closer. we're just people hanging out in the desert at the base of a mountain. We can't see God and we can't see the person who represents him. So let's kind of go our own way. So Moses is on the mountain with God, getting God's commandments for his people to live in a way that will allow God to be with them. And God says, go down, you've got a mess on your hands. Moses goes down the mountain, he breaks the commandments. He takes the golden calf and he grinds them up into powder and makes the people drink them. It's a pretty crazy story if you've never read it. And then he goes back up the mountains and says, God, like we, we really blew this. What do we do now? And God said, get out of my sight. You can go to the land and you can have all of the promises, but you're not going to have my presence. Like, just get out of my sight. And Moses said, we can't do that. Like, these calves made us feel like good for a day. Like, we, like we know they didn't do the Egypt thing. They're not going to do the future thing like no God, like no God we we can't do that. We don't want your promises without your presence because your presence is the thing. Like, knowing that you're with us is the thing that's most important. And Moses makes two requests in Exodus 33:18 and Exodus 34:9 that I think are maybe the two greatest requests that have ever been made of God as he's standing on the mountain with God and God's like go on without me and Moses is like no we can't. Moses says in Exodus 33:18, God, please show me your glory. Now we know what that means now. We know that Moses is saying we need to feel you. We need to feel you in a way that matters. We don't understand why us. We don't understand why now. We don't understand like why, why Canaan. Like we, like we don't get it all. We, we need to understand more about, you have to show me your glory. You have to let me feel you in a way that matters deeply. And God says, okay. And he passes by Moses in a way that totally reshapes his soul. And after he does that, Moses says, please go with us. Like if this is who you are, We want you, please go with us. And God agrees. And he not only agrees, he moves like right into the center of town. Up till this point, every time Moses went to talk to God, he left the camp. So God had never been with camp. No one had ever ever talked to God in the camp. Every time Moses had to go see God, he had to leave the camp. Now God says, I'm going to move into the camp. I'm going to be like, I'm going to be the center of town. And he moved into the camp in what was called the tabernacle with his presence made visible by the presence of cloud during the day and fire by night. And it is my favorite picture in all of the Bible resource books I've ever had. And I want to show it to you because this is an artist's rendition of what it might have looked like standing on a mountain looking down on the people of Israel with God at the center. This is a physical picture of what it looks like to have God at the center of your community. I'm not sure what the very center of Lee Summit is. But I know if that sat on top of it in the presence of God, our community would be better. Amen? Like, I love this picture because it symbolizes God saying, all right, I'll show you my glory and I'll go with you. And you'll have no doubt that I'm there and that you'll matter. So the people of Israel would literally camp around the tabernacle. The tabernacle in this picture is facing east. So the tribes were aligned very specifically around the tabernacle. On the east side would be Judah and Issachar and Zebulun. So those would be the tribes kind of down here. On the southern side would be Gad and Reuben and Simeon. On the western side would be kind of the children of Rachel, Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh. On the northern side, Dan and Asher and Naphtali. And then the little kind of inside the circle, the Levites, the people who work the tabernacle, would kind of live right around the tabernacle. On the south side, the Kohathites. On the west side, the Gershonites. On the north side, the Morarites. And if you can see very, very carefully, like they're just two little houses right in front of the tabernacle. Only Moses and Aaron and their families were allowed to live like right at the door of the tabernacle. And God said, this is like how I'm going to live with you. And you'll, ne- you'll never... You'll never have to walk out your front door in the morning and say, is God here? Does God care? Is he going to help today? You'll never have to wonder because I'm right in the center. And the tabernacle would do two things for the people of Israel. Number one, it would be the physical representation. that Hey, God's here. God cares. God's here. God cares. And I'm going to guide you on your journey. God says, when I move, you move. If I don't move, you don't move. You said the most important thing is to be with me. You'll never have to wonder where I am or where I'm going. Just follow me. So the tabernacle would be the representation that God was among his people and he was guiding them on their journey. But more than that, the tabernacle would be this thing to help people feel the weight of God. Whoa, there he is. And to know that they mattered to God. He's still here. We are okay. At what point this year did you walk out the back door of your tent Rather than the front door and say, I don't think God's here today. See, the only way the people of Israel would have questioned if God was there and God cared was if they looked away from God. And Journey, I want to tell you, the only way in this world that you will ever question if God is here and he cares is if you stop looking at him. Because if you will set your eyes on the God of heaven through the scripture that he's revealed to us, through his son Jesus... It doesn't mean life will be easy. It was not always easy for the people of Israel, but they always knew He was there. They always knew He was guiding them. They always knew that they mattered and they were important. This tabernacle would stand for about 400 years, and then it would be replaced by a temple. And the temple would stand for about 400 years. 375 would probably be more specific. And then the temple would be torn down and they would have in Israel what they call the 400 years of like the the dark ages where God didn't speak and even though there was a building on the mountain, they were not sure that God was among them anymore. 400 tabernacle, 400 temple, 400 dark ages and then a better tabernacle came and his name was Jesus. And that's what John is telling us. It's been a while, but there's a new tabernacle and his name is Jesus and you need to meet him. And today I want to tell you number two, the purpose of Jesus being God making his dwelling with us. Because when we understand tabernacle, when we understand glory, and then we wrap that skin around Jesus and his ministry, it's like this makes it very, very clear who Jesus was. This makes it very, very clear what Jesus was doing. Like no one can question who Jesus was and what Jesus is doing once we understand that he was the tabernacle that brought the glory of God. Look at verse 14 again, the word Became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God put on skin and became a tabernacle. We have seen his glory. My gosh, right there he is. We feel his weight. We know that we matter. We know that he's with us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and full of truth. John is saying in John 1.14, Jesus is a better tabernacle. Jesus is a better Tabernacle than the Old Testament tabernacle. You say, Christian, how could Jesus be a better tabernacle? Let's just look at the picture and make it real easy, okay? Say, how could Jesus be a better tabernacle? This is a pretty pretty awesome picture. If I could time travel, this is one of the top five places I'd want to go. Probably the top four would all include the life and ministry of Jesus. But, uh, like, if I could pick number five, this would be one of the things I'd want to see. You say, how did all the nations around Israel know that they were coming with their God? Well, like, it was pretty easy. You say, how could Jesus be better than that? Watch this. Picture one of these pillars over every tent instead of just the one in the middle. That's better. And that's not even a good picture. Picture a pillar over every person that lived in every tent in the community. Sometimes 10 to 12 people in a tent. And there you have a picture of the glory of God that shows people how much they matter. See, Jesus is the better tabernacle. Say, how do you know that? Let's look at what the tabernacle is and just ask ourselves, hey, don't, don't we think Jesus is better than that? What is the purpose of the tabernacle? The physical representation that God was among his people? And he was guiding them on his way. Guess what? Jesus did that better than the tent, don't you think? Like the, the fact that God was with people and guiding them, you can pick a tent or you can pick Jesus. Like, yeah, Jesus did, the, Jesus did that better. Jesus is the better tabernacle. What else was the purpose of the tabernacle? To reveal the weight of God and prove to his people that they mattered. So I've got the tent or i got a guy who died on the cross. I think Jesus does that better than the tabernacle. So scripture tells us Jesus is a better tabernacle. And this was not only a universal New Testament truth. This was the primary New Testament conflict. Old tabernacle or Jesus? Almost every letter in the New Testament was written about this issue. Old tabernacle or Jesus? The first book of the New Testament written, Galatians, was all about this. Old tabernacle or Jesus? They actually had to have a huge meeting of church leaders the original disciples who were still left and new church leaders to try to figure out old tabernacle or Jesus. And here was the primary question. Here was the question. Do we have to earn and keep our salvation and our connection to God by what we do and then continue to do? Or do we receive it and retain it because of what Jesus did and he continues to do? That's the primary question of the whole New Testament. Do we earn it and keep it by us or do we receive it and retain it by him? To put that question a little more simply, that they had to answer over and over again in the New Testament, do we have to become Jewish before we become Christians? Do we, ha- do we have to do all the tabernacle stuff, old tabernacle, before we receive all the Jesus stuff, new tabernacle? And in Acts 15, 11, they answered that question. Do you have to be Jewish before you become Christians? And in Acts 15, they said, no, no. No, you don't have to become Jewish before you become a Christian. We believe that Jews and Gentiles both receive salvation by the grace of God. We receive salvation. We don't earn it. We retain our salvation because of what Jesus does, not because of what we do. Like, it's all about Jesus. Amen? Amen. Like, that is, that's the primary thought of New Testament scripture. Is it on us or is it on him? Thank God this week in my life that it's on him. And thank God, next week in my life, it's on him. Thank God, this year in my life, it was on Jesus. And thank God, next year in my life, it's on Jesus. Amen? Amen. Like that's, that's the question of the New Testament. Is it on us or is it on him? And John said, Jesus is the better tabernacle. Jesus is the better tabernacle because he puts it all on him. The Old Testament tabernacle puts it all on us. The New Testament tabernacle puts it all on him. And then John tells us why he is such a better tabernacle. Look at verse 14 again. I want you to focus now on the last two words. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and full of truth. Somebody say grace. Grace. Somebody say truth. truth. Jesus is the better tabernacle because of his grace, and because of his truth. Jesus reveals to us the weight of God. Jesus reveals to us that we matter. But he does all that through grace and truth. Look at these two words, two phenomenal words in the Greek language. The Greek word for grace is charis. You see, that kind of looks like the English word charity. It's exactly what it is. It's a gift. It's goodwill freely distributed by God to the benefit Of those who need it, regardless of whether they've earned it or they deserve it. So let's ask some spiritual spiritual questions regarding grace. Do you earn your salvation? Hope not. Do you deserve your salvation? Probably not. I'm just being nice. The answer is no. Actually, no. You don't deserve your salvation. Do you need your salvation? That's the question grace asked. Grace didn't say, did you have a good enough week to earn it? Grace didn't say, did you have a good enough year to deserve it? Grace says, do you have a year where you need it? If you need it, I'm going to give it to you. Jesus is the better tabernacle because he ministers in grace. He figures out what we need, not what we deserve. And he freely distributes what we need regardless of whether or not we deserved it or earned it this week. That makes Jesus a better tabernacle. He also operates in truth. It's the Greek word aletheia. Aletheia was the Greek goddess of truth. It's conformity to reality with the implication of dependability. You say, what does that mean? Truth is what is real, and truth is what is dependable. When you put these two words together, here's why Jesus is a better tabernacle. He's real. He's dependable. And he treats you like you get it right even when you get it wrong. Let me say it again. Jesus is the better tabernacle because he's real. He's dependable. And he treats you like you get it right even when you indeed get it wrong. Grace and truth. That's how Jesus ministers to the hearts of his people. Not what do you deserve, what do you need? Grace and truth. So Jesus... Is the better tabernacle by far? The question is not, is he the better tabernacle? The question, if there is a key question, would be this is he the center of your life? John teaches us he's the better tabernacle. The question we have to answer is, is he the center of your life? Somebody say the phrase, Jesus is better. better. Question and statement. Question and statement. The question, Michelle, is where is the water? That's weird. The question is what is in the center of your picture? That's actually an easy um, question to answer because everyone sees it. Just like everyone saw God, everyone knows what's in the center of your picture. If they follow you on social media, if they spend any time with you at all, if they listen to you talk, if they see what's important, like everyone knows what's in the center of your picture because your whole life revolves around it. As a matter of fact, whatever lives in the center of your picture, you probably have already had a conversation by this point, or you will by tonight, and you will set your entire schedule next week around the thing that revolves around the center of your picture. Most of us, our whole life revolves around the thing in the center. So the question is, what is in the center of your picture? The statement is this, Jesus is better. Like, I don't know what is in the center of your picture, but I do know this. Jesus is better. Because when the core begins to break apart, and if anything but Jesus is in the center of your picture, it will. Your kids one day won't be good enough at sports. Your job will get bought by a company, and they won't need you. Your kids will move away. Your health will fail Your Facebook followers will go away or one day you'll realize, I don't even know most of these people. Like whatever is at the center, one day is gonna begin to crack. And if it's anything but Jesus, when the center falls, everything falls. But when the center holds, everything holds. So question, what is at the center of your picture statement? Jesus is better. And most followers of Jesus agree with that and want that. They're just unsure how to get that. So, I want to give you a plan today that I just kind of call Jesus at the Center Plan that I actually ripped off from a pastor in California by the name of Rick Warren. He, he gave a plan for rest to a group of pastors one day that was pretty easy to remember. Depart daily, withdraw weekly, quite quarterly, abandon annually. I also think this helps us live a life with Jesus at the center. So, let's just throw up this Jesus at the center plane. Say, okay, I, I want Jesus to be at the center. Because if you have anything at the center that's not Jesus, Jesus is better. Okay, well, how do I get Jesus at the center? Every day, every week, every quarter, every year, you live a life that revolves around Jesus and the things of Jesus. I think every day you need to get away with Jesus, scripture and prayer, I think everyday followers of Jesus ought to be focused in scripture and in prayer. I don't care if you have a verse texted to you from your Bible app and it's just one verse of scripture. I think every day, if you're going to have Jesus at the center of your life, you have to be reflecting on his word and you have to spend some time in prayer. I think weekly, just like the early church, you have to make being around your church community, either in Sunday services or serving with them or sitting in small groups, as often as possible I think it's important to be in a worship service and serving if you can. This really helps keep Jesus at the center. I think we ought to quiet quarterly. In Israel, they had these feasts that were near quarterly that just kind of helped them break away from their life and recenter on Jesus. I think as followers of Jesus, carrying out the mission of Jesus, when we're serving in our community, which we do monthly, I think the first Saturday of every month right now. Or we take a spiritual retreat where we say, I'm just gonna get away. I'm gonna read some books. I'm gonna spend some time in prayer. I'm gonna spend some time in journaling. And then abandon annually. I know this is hard for everyone, but I think if once every three years you went on a global mission trip, I think it would just reset your life around the heart of Jesus. Now, here's the deal. The thing that's at the center of your life, you do this with. You think about it every day. You're probably involved in it every week. It probably takes up at least one weekend of every quarter And you may even, you may even plan an entire week or two to do this thing out of your life. Like the thing that is at the center, we do this with. That's how it gets at the center. Because we're just, we're on top of it every day, every week, every quarter. Kind of our year revolves around it. And for those of you who say, I want Jesus to be at the center. I think this plan will help you. I think if every day you try to figure out, I gotta get in the word, I gotta pray a little bit. I think if every week you say, hey, on Sunday, unless like the house is burning down, we gotta figure out how to be in church and probably serving people at church. And once a quarter, we need to make sure we remember life is not about us because we're Jesus followers. We gotta go serve others who are hurting. And then once every three years, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna serve the world because for those of you who have been on a global missions trip, nothing resets your heart like a global missions trip. You just come back, you don't come back different You come back, the person that you've always wanted to be spiritually, you come back, just reset. Because you've allowed your heart some room to reset. Jesus at the center. What's cool is when Jesus is at the center of your life, everybody knows it. When Jesus is at the center of your life, everyone knows it. Because John gives us a picture of someone who was like that in verses 15 through 18. And if you have your Bible, I want to close with just these three verses. It says, John, we talked about this last week. That's John, the baptizer, Jesus cousin, not John who wrote the book. That was Jesus disciple. John testified concerning Jesus. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me out of his fullness. We've all received grace place of all grace already given for the law was given through Moses grace and truth came through Jesus Christ John basically is saying there God in his graciousness gave us a way to get to him through the tabernacle but now he's done one better in Jesus verse 18 no one has ever seen God but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known if you have your Bibles open two fun words the words he cried out three words the words cried out there in the Greek language. In the Greek, the phrase cried out is spelled K R A Z O. It is the word we get the English word crazy from. Basically, John the disciple was saying, John the baptizer was crazy about Jesus. And everybody knew about it. Journey, are you crazy about Jesus? Because when Jesus lives at the center, when he's at the center, you'll be crazy about him. And everyone will know it. You'll step out of the front of your house and see, there's God. I feel, his, I feel his weight. I know I matter. And people will look at your life and you'll have the little cloud following you around. Cloud by day, pillar by night. And they'll think, man, that person is crazy about Jesus. Every time I look at them, I think about Jesus. We have two incredible opportunities for people to think you're crazy about Jesus. Our Christmas service is coming up this week that you can invite people to be a part of. Don't come alone. Almost every person in our church that I have talked to in the past two weeks has told me which Christmas service they're coming to and who they're bringing. I've never had that happen in all my time pastoring our church, where almost every conversation I have is people telling me which service they're coming to and who they're bringing with them. When you invite someone to church with you at Christmas, they may think you're a little crazy about Jesus. And that's a good thing. And then our grand opening, January 9th. When you invite people to church twice in a month, they're going to think you're a little crazy about Jesus. But that's a good thing. Because when Jesus is at the center, people will think you're crazy about him, but you know what? They'll see him, they'll notice him, and maybe they'll know him. And isn't that the whole purpose of what we're doing here? We want people to know who Jesus is is if you don't know him you can today John said he came so that you could know God loves you so that you could recognize that you can be in relationship with him and so that you could put him at the center of your life through a relationship with Jesus if you're a follower of Jesus but you've been following at a distance walking out the back door of your tent instead of the front door and you're not looking at Jesus every day reset this year reset with a life with Jesus at the center become crazy about him and you'll become impactful for him What did God say to your heart today? What do you need to do as a response to that? Let's pray as we consider those things. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room. For those watching online, but hearts are open. Christians, let me talk to you today, Christians. Would people in your life say you're crazy about Jesus? Because he's just at the center of everything. If not, believe it or not, that is the goal. The goal is for our lives to prove to our world that we're crazy about Jesus. And if you need to reset so he can be at the center, just tell God that today. Just tell God, God, I've, somehow I've drifted. I want to move back to putting Jesus at the center of my life. He's a better tabernacle. He wants to live with you every day. But you've got to walk out the front door of your tent towards him. Commit to make 2022 about Jesus if 2021 has not been And if you're here watching online and you don't know Jesus personally, you don't have a relationship with him. You were not aware that the God of the universe created you, loved you, and wants to live in relationship with you. You thought you had to earn or deserve your salvation and you know that you can't do one and you haven't done the other. And today you're hearing all you have to do is receive it and walk with Jesus. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, but your heart's open. Tell God you're willing to receive and follow his son, Jesus. You can do that in prayer. You don't have to pray out loud, but from your hearts to heaven, just from your heart to heaven, you can pray something like this after me. You can just say, Jesus, I need you. Just pray it after me from your heart to heaven. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Today, by faith, I ask you to forgive me of the sins of my past. I ask you to heal me of the hurts of my past ask you to clean me up from the dirt of my past and I commit to follow you into the future thank you for your forgiveness thank you for your love thank you for walking with me today I commit to follow you as my leader and I give my heart and my life to you you just prayed with me in just a second. I'll give you an opportunity to let us know, so we can celebrate with you, pray for you, maybe even pray with you. Give you some resources that'll help you spiritually. But Father God, in this place, we want it to be all about Jesus. I mean, we, we say that because we do. We want it to be all about Jesus. This is why we wrote it on the wall. But Lord, our church will only be all about Jesus when our people are all about Jesus. So God, be the center of our lives be the center of our church be the center of it all start today start with us let our community know that this is one of those churches that's crazy about jesus thank you that he's the better tabernacle we see him we feel him we know that we matter to you because of him and for that we say thank you we ask all these things today in jesus name and everyone said Amen and amen. Hey, just before you leave, a few instructions because we're doing some new stuff. They just took my table. So, Michelle, thank you. You're already on top of it. If you made a spiritual decision today, there's a card in the seat pocket in front of you or near you that says this. It says connection card. If you're watching online, you can just text journey to 474747. It'll send you this link and you can fill it out. If you made a spiritual decision today, we're going to ask you to fill this out. There's a little box that says, Today I became a Christian or I recommitted my life to Jesus. Take this to the connection center. They'll give you some resources. They'll see if you have any questions. They won't take much of your time or make you feel awkward. We would love to minister to you as you go today. If you're a first-time guest, listen very, very closely. You have a chance to make a difference just by visiting our church today. We'd love to give you a gift to say thanks for coming. But when you give us your connection card, you give a gift to the Hope Center in downtown Kansas City that's spending time mentoring students, discipling students, working with leadership and providing after-school care to families who need that in the inner city for all of 22 uh, 2022 every time a first time guest family turns in a connection card we're going to make a ten dollar donation to one of the ministries in our city that we represent and our goal is that tens of thousands of dollars will be donated on your behalf just by you visiting our church we've learned that most people don't want a coffee mug they've got enough of those But they want to make a difference in the world. If you're a first-time guest today and you take this to the Connection Center and turn it in, you will make a difference in the lives of children and teenagers in the inner city who are working with the Hope Center. So please let us know. And then there's a little card that says spiritual care. If you or anyone you know needs spiritual care from our church today or this week as we head into Christmas week, would you please let us know? maybe praying for a friend who just lost someone. I talked to one of our members after the 8.45 a.m. service. Is that what time our first service is? 8.45 a.m. service, whose husband's secretary Sunday tested positive for COVID and Tuesday died 39 years old with a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old child. And she said, Christian, will you pray for them this week? And pray for my husband because he's trying to lead the organization through this. If you need spiritual care or you know someone who needs spiritual care, please let us know. We believe God's called us to minister to and pray for our community, but we can only do that with people we know. So if we can serve you in any way, you can take this to our spiritual care team. that will be at the front. You can drop it in the box as you go. But please let us be a part of spiritual care for someone who might need it. We're gonna close today with this wonderful new song we sang at our dedication service called Jesus at the Center. It's my hope that this song and this message and this picture and this priority, Jesus at the Center just kind of sits in your head through this Christmas season and as you walk towards 2022. So let's stand. Let's get ready to worship God. We thank you for Jesus. Let him be the center of our lives in our church and of everything we're about until the whole world knows you. In Jesus name. Amen. Let's worship.